Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together a gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Greetings and welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. I am your host, Justin Shell, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this conversation today. We pray that the time together will strengthen your hands and your heart as you both serve, but even more importantly, enjoy Christ today. We are beginning here in this third season of the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We're beginning a conversation with Stefan Jenkins that will last over three episodes. Stefan is lecturer in Greek and biblical studies at Union School of Theology, and uh, we are going, we're going to be talking about, on the one hand, the Christian nature of the Old Testament. Not simply that Christ is in the Old Testament, but that the Old Testament is Christian, that it is, it's not a, a, a book that current uh, Judaism reads correctly, but actually, if they miss Christ there, then they've misread the Old Testament. If they miss our topic for today, justification by faith alone, if they miss that in the Old Testament, they are misreading the Old Testament because it is a Christian book. So the next three conversations with Stefan will cover uh, that topic of justification by faith alone in the Old Testament. This first conversation, we will be justification by faith alone in Genesis. Next week, we're going to be looking at justification by faith alone in the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then after that, the the third conversation, we'll, we'll dip into some other parts of the Old Testament, but we'll also look at how the New Testament authors understood the Old Testament on this topic of justification by faith alone. We're going to make sure that our reading of it matches up with the reading of Christ, the reading of the apostles, uh, the writers of the New Testament, that we, when we find justification by faith alone in Genesis, for instance, it's partly because Jesus already told us it's there. Paul has already told us it's there. The writers of the New Testament see it all over the place there. So it's going to be an exciting conversation, um, and we're just going to jump right in now. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. No, thank you so much for having me back. That's a huge privilege and certainly unearned to come back a second time. (laughs) Good to see you. Yeah, you are the first revisit. Very humble of you to say uh, thank you for having me back, but we're, we're thrilled to have you back and excited about this conversation we are about to launch in on this, uh, this three part conversation on the topic of justification by faith in the Old Testament. That title may sound weird to some of our some of our listeners, and we'll get into that. But maybe the place we can start is help us just understand, um, in case we don't or, or, or we're confused, what do we mean by justification by faith? Thank you. That's a great place to start. So, um, on the day of judgment, the reason that God will treat us as righteous rather than as sinners is because he has justified us. Uh, it, it is something that God does. It is something that God does 
entirely by his grace, despite of what we deserve. Mm. It involves him forgiving us all of our sins and accepting us as righteous, despite the way we've lived, and only for one reason. And that reason is the righteousness of Christ, which he imputes to us. And, and so far, all of the verbs there have had God as their subject. This is everything is what God does. And the question is, by faith means I receive this amazing gift by faith alone, by mm. trusting in the one who promises. That is how I receive all this. I do nothing else. I bring no merit, no good works whatsoever to the table. So uh, that is what Protestants mean uh, when we summarize what the Bible teaches about justification, when we say we're justified by faith alone. Mm. And it's important to, to help people understand justification by faith because we tend to be prone to, as, as, as fallen humanity, prone to thinking that the way to be right with God, the way to earn favor with God, the way to, some people might say, to make God love me, is I've got a, I've got a list of things I need to accomplish. And, and then once I do that, I will be right with God. He will love me. Right. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, your typical Christian experience that needs this clarity of what what being what being right with God really is, what it what it how it really happens. Right. And that's and that's a real tragedy. And and at the root of it is thinking of God as a reluctant savior. Yeah. And thinking of ourselves as only somewhat sinful. Mm. And that the liberating reality is that only God can possibly save because we are that sinful we are that lost mm. and god does not need persuading to save us he is the kind of god the kind of merciful god who saves his mm. people uh, and uh, because of those two things it has always been that the way we end up righteous is because of the righteousness of another of christ which mm. is given to us by god and received not by becoming righteous, but by trusting that his righteousness counts as ours. And if, um, if maybe if I've been a Christian for a few years and, and starting to know my way around the scriptures, uh, maybe I've, I've sat under some, some teaching now, been a part of a church and starting to hear uh, God's word proclaimed and, and, and hearing about faith and justification a little bit here and there. I, I think a lot of Christians who maybe a few years into their walk would say, well, I know that's in the New Testament. You know, maybe they have a, they have a, a particular gospel illustration that they've learned from a, a ministry of taking this verse from Paul or looking at uh, some part of the New Testament. So why would we want to make a big deal out of or, or, or talk about justification by faith in the Old Testament? Sure. Well, I, I think two um, reasons would, would top my list. The first one is that we're talking about who God is and what he's like. So if we think of justification by faith as a New Testament thing and not an Old Testament thing as well, then we're going to think of God as the kind of God who condemns, mm. 
And then Jesus is entering from stage left and somehow twisting the condemning God's arm mm. so that we escape condemnation. Mm. Whereas once we see that God has always been the savior of his people by justifying them by faith alone, by imputing them always from the beginning of Genesis with the righteousness of Jesus alone, then that completely should transform our relationship with our saving mm. God. Uh, we're not worried that if, if Jesus were not on duty, thunderbolts would fall on us. Uh, we're not bargaining right. through Jesus. Right. We're enjoying who God is, and he is for us despite what we are like. The, uh, the second reason is, is related to that, which is if we think that God changed his mind about how to save us between the Old Testament and the New, how do we know that he isn't free to change his mind again? Mm. So one of the glorious truths about being justified by faith alone is that it's a past event that lasts forever. We know what is going to happen when Jesus returns. We've already been told, you are righteous mm. in Christ, and that is not going to change. Mm. So it, Moses, Elijah, Abraham, they weren't born too early to be justified by faith. And, and if you're worried about it, you're not born so late that maybe God will change his mind again. And you'll miss out on being justified by faith. No, it, it's, it's about the kind of God who he is. He is the God who justifies sinners because of his mercy. So the, the two tied together in, in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, he does not change like shifting shadows. Right. <laughs> he does not change his mood or his mind, um, even about us. Yeah, that's great. These three conversations we're going to have then, starting uh, with this week's episode, we're going to look at uh, justification by faith before Moses today. So kind of Genesis zeroing in on, on, on the first book of the Bible. And then we're going we're gonna to progress through the story, looking at the, the law at the Pentateuch, at, um, at justification by faith. It, in the life and, and ministry and administration of Moses. And then we're, we're going to look at the New Testament. Eventually, we want to we want to get there and, and see how it squares up with with what we've been saying. As we as we start that journey in Genesis today, where would you see justification by faith alone in Genesis? Sure. Thank you. Um if I can just go back and add a little bit of detail to the to the plan for the next three sessions, if if that's okay. Sure. Um, the, the thing we're going to do is, in the third session on the New Testament, we're just going to check that what we say the Old Testament says is what mm -hmm. the New Testament says the Old Testament says. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. we're not asking the New Testament, what do you think about justification? We're asking the New Testament, what do you think the Old Testament said? about justification. And that's why now we're going to begin in Genesis, because the, the proof texts for justification by faith that the New Testament authors used come from Genesis. They come from the Old Testament. So in Genesis, well, let, let's, um, uh, we would see it in Genesis 3. I would begin there. Uh, we would see it with Noah. 
and we would see it with Abraham. There are, there are other places in Genesis we could go, but I think those are some of the, uh, mm. the clearest. So I think beginning um, in Genesis uh, 3, simply uh, we notice after we in our first fathers demonstrated what we are like, which is that when God for our good gives us one command, one prohibition rather, then we turn away from all the good commands he has given us and, and disobey him the only way we can. Uh, so we're, we're already seeing mm. the thing that means if it's not justification by faith alone, if it's not through having the righteousness of another credited to our account, then we're in trouble and there's no way out because mm. this is what we are like. Mm. But the, the when God then... Um, deals with with Adam and Eve after they have disobeyed him. So in, G- in Genesis 3.15, we have there this promise um, that the offspring of Eve will bruise the serpent's head uh, and the serpent will bruise his heel. So uh, we're left there wondering, how are you going to save your people? But one thing we know is that it's not going to be through Adam and Eve being good. We know they're not going to earn their way back. We know there is some future saving figure who will deal with the serpent uh, for them. And they're not actually told to do anything to, uh, to engage in their salvation. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's, I think, your first clue. It's not from us. It, it comes from the outside. Yeah, this, this promised seed, all, all we know at this point, this, this one to come will... We'll, um... Reverse the curse. Right. Yeah. And, and then Noah? Well, with Noah, um, you, you see him uh, after God has said, okay, let's fill the world with righteous people. You, you're in Genesis 6, and the, the problem with the world is that it's full of evil. It's full of violence. It's full of people reducing the population instead of increasing it. And, um, and it'd be easy to think of Noah as saved because he was good. We are told that he was righteous in his generation, Genesis 6, 9. He was relatively uh, righteous. And we are told in 2 Peter 2, verse 5, that he was labeled as a preacher of righteousness. So you might think, okay, well, in Noah, we have the example of someone who um, was really great, and that's how you get saved. But actually, um, Hebrews 11, 7 says that he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Mm. And we actually then see that in Genesis. We see that it was by trusting in God's promise about the ark um, that he was saved. Um, so even though he happened to be relatively righteous in his generation, that did not save him. He was saved by faith um, alone. And the way that Moses makes that point, he, um, the whole of the flood narrative is, is written in a wonderful chiastic or sometimes called palistrophic structure. It's where you, you know, um, you have these outer layers of the onion that you, you work your way into the story and you, you work your way out again. So in near the beginning in Genesis 6, 5 and 7, God sees that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, that's speaking of mankind as a whole, was only evil continually. Uh, and so he sends uh, the flood. So verse 7, I will blot out man whom I have uh, created. 
and then judgment happens, and you get you know the whole of Genesis seven, Genesis eight up to nineteen. The the waters rise, the waters go down again. Noah then appears out of the ark and builds an altar to the Lord, and and then we hear this that uh, when he offers a sacrifice, when the Lord smelled, I'm in Genesis eight twenty one here. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, and here's the surprise: I will never again curse the ground because of man. But then he repeats, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So actually, removing all the wicked people and leaving only Noah and his family doesn't solve the problem. God is not now looking and saying, okay, I only see righteous people before me. He says the opposite. He sees the intention of man's heart, and the only man he's got in front of him is Noah and a few others, is evil from his youth. What has made the difference is the sacrifice which was a pleasing aroma to God. And you know, next time we meet, we'll, we'll look at that phrase, the pleasing aroma, and how it plays out in, in the law of Moses. But even in Genesis, it, it shows us that Noah's righteousness did not save him. Noah received a salvation, which was the opposite of what he had earned, because a sacrifice somehow meant that God turned away from his wrath uh, against him. And all Noah did was trust uh, in that, and he, and he walks away uh, righteous and saved. Yeah, I, I know that some of our listeners may be shocked to hear that Noah wasn't perfect, because all of our, our, our children's Bibles tell us, <laughs> right? He is the one good guy left on planet Earth. He's the one that actually does what God asks him to do. Look at this perfect man. Um, but, uh, but even leaving uh, that, that leaving the ark, we, we see one of the first things Noah does is, is he becomes drunk and uh, we have this weird exchange with, with his, with, uh, one of his sons, but that's, it's so important to have our misconceptions of these characters broken down and rebuilt actually from, from the word, isn't it? We, we can easily think of Father Abraham as perfect. Noah, he was mm-hmm. the, the one good guy. Um, David, well, he was the perfect king, a man after God's own heart, forgetting uh, maybe his his other, forgetting that he too needed a savior. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a good reminder here with, with Noah, I think, especially. When you then move past Noah, we meet Father Abraham. And uh, help, help us understand Abraham being saved by faith. I think maybe we're familiar with that, but help us understand uh, his justification. Sure. So with uh, with Abraham, I mean, you, I sort of think that Moses put him right where he did, just to make sure we didn't misunderstand Noah. You know, mm-hmm. he'd already explained justification by faith alone with Noah, but then he really wants to make sure that if anybody comes away thinking, like like you said, the, the way we might have had it heard as kids in Sunday school, yeah, Noah was a good guy, so God was kind to him. Move on. No, if that works, Abra- it doesn't work at all uh, with Abraham. But um, one of the strange things with Abraham is that some think Paul in the epistle to the Romans in chapter four uses Abraham to prove that we're justified by faith alone. And yet James two, they say, uses Abraham to prove that we're not justified by faith alone. And when we look at the two parts of Genesis that they both quote and how they work together, we get a beautiful composite picture that couldn't make it clearer. Um, mm. that, that actually, no, Abraham was indeed 
justified by faith alone, and that is also what James is affirming. But we need to see firstly that to justify in the English language, and this is also true, um, you know, if, if we're talking in Hebrew, if we're talking in in Greek, um, the words that we're dealing with in translation here, they they also have this. That in in general English usage, to justify can mean uh, to vindicate. Uh, mm. It can mean to demonstrate why you were in the right all along. So we use the phrase. Um, I justify myself, and and we don't mean I make myself righteous. So right now in in this country, our prime minister is trying to justify himself uh, from an accusation, and we're we're all excited to see how that plays out, uh, one way or the other. But we don't mean that he is trying to receive forgiveness. We mean he's trying to prove that he did nothing wrong. The other meaning, which is the meaning that I began with, is is to to receive God's forgiveness, to receive a righteousness that you have not earned, to be declared righteous despite the way you've worked. And, um, and, and Paul in Romans 4 is highlighting the first thing that Moses teaches us in Genesis, which is how Abraham was justified, was declared righteous, was counted righteous by faith alone. And James is pointing to a later episode in Genesis where Abraham, having been saved, having received the righteousness of Christ credited to him despite his wicked heart, began to live a transformed life, and God was then able to vindicate him by saying, look, in this point here, he obeyed me. He he has become a man who is interested in righteousness. Uh, So those two different senses of um, justify, we need to to keep them uh, separate. So Mm -hmm. let's look at the first one. In in Genesis uh, 15, um, we're dealing with, um, I beg your pardon, verse six. And uh, the issue there is Abraham is not seeing evidence that God is going to keep the promise of Genesis 12. It's not looking good. Uh, the clock is ticking and descendants seem like an impossibility, mm. but God restates his promise to him. And Abraham responds, Moses tells us, he believed the Lord mm-hmm. and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So we have here not an innocent man acquitted in a court of law. We have here a guilty man treated as righteous Mm -hmm. because of God's gift of crediting him with the righteousness of Christ, um, which was not uh, his own. Uh, so, So that fills out the picture that Moses is preparing for us in Genesis, that that in Genesis 3.15, we're looking for this salvation to come from elsewhere, from the seed of the woman, but we are wicked, and there's been no resolution of our wickedness. There's been no transformation of us. We see what no, that, that that is the universal story, wicked from conception. Um, we learn that the solution is going to involve not us being good, but God becoming pleased for us, and some kind of sacrifice appears to achieve that. And now we see with Abraham um, what fills out the picture that God saves not by making us righteous, but by counting us righteous. So that savior of Genesis 3.15, it will be his righteousness that appears in the ledger next to my name. And that is how God um, justifies. And what is it that means that this man is justified, what it's that he trusted the promise of God. It's justification by faith alone, quite apart from uh, his faith. 
But what we then see um, later on in the life of Abraham in Genesis 22 is, of course, you've got Isaac uh, and God saying to him, uh, offer him up on an altar. Now, the thing that's easy to miss here is, you know, we we rightly get so emotionally involved in in the story of imagining offering up your son. Um, And we rightly draw parallels with the father sending his son to the cross for us. But with Abraham, we've also got to bear in mind that this wasn't just his beloved son. This was the promise being killed. God had promised emphatically that it was only through Isaac. So please, no marrying your wife's servant girl, no having children by other means. It's only through Isaac that I'm going to fulfill the promise of saving the world. Genesis 12, now please kill Isaac. And Hebrews 11 tells us what's going on with Abraham's obedience there. Abraham reasoned that God would raise Isaac from the dead. And that's the logic of faith. Faith is not this nebulous thing. Faith is, I trust that God is for me. I believe that God is a saving God. And so God has promised that Isaac will have children. Therefore, Isaac will have children. God has told me to slaughter Isaac before he has children. Therefore, if I do, God will raise him from the dead so that he can have children. It's simple logic. The youngest child could work that out, if if I can put it that way, provided that the one thing you do is believe Mm. what God says. Now, of course, Abraham didn't know that Isaac wasn't going to end up dead, but the logic shows what Abraham did was not obey God. Abraham believed God, trusted him. He had the righteousness of another because he trusted him. He was not a good man, but that did free him up to be obedient. That is how justification by faith works. Uh, When you stop trying to earn your salvation, you're free to do things that please God because you love him. And that is what God did in testing Abraham, was to show to Satan, to the accuser, to the watching world, to angels and demons, see, when I justify people by faith alone, I have not given up on righteousness. I then get busy in their lives and gradually and and smallly and not finally until judgment day, but I do care Mm. about them obeying me. And so as with Job, see my servant Abraham, how he was willing to offer up uh, Isaac. And that was Abraham being justified, not in the sense of being saved, not in the sense of being credited with the righteousness of Christ, but justified as an innocent man in a courtroom. He was vindicated. He was shown at that point to be obedient. And that is what James 2 picks up on, that we who have received as a completely free gift, contrary to what we have earned, purely by God's grace, entirely with empty open hands, all we've received it only by faith without any good works of our own, we do then go on to want to please God. You know, James 2.22 says, you see that faith was active. Right. Along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Uh, And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That that uh, that Genesis 22 story is a fulfillment of the the crediting of righteousness to Abraham. That's exactly right. And and James gives you the clue. And, uh, you know, in a sense, um, it, it just illustrates for us we we are supposed to read the Old Testament when we're reading the New. James wouldn't expect us to make sense of his letter without reading Genesis. And when you read Genesis, and then you read James, you almost want to go, well, duh, James, why do you even need to point that out? And 
And that's why it's phrased such a, it's a very curt reminder, isn't it? Do you not know? Do you not see? Are you ignorant of? Because, well, it was always there in in the law of Moses. I digress. That's good. Well, let let me, this may seem like a little bit of a shift, but I, I feel like what we're saying is that Genesis is a Christian book. You and I have talked a little bit about uh, the the idea of Christ in the Old Testament, and and uh, I remember you saying we don't say enough about that. That doesn't say enough. It's not just that Christ is there, but it's a, a Christian book. It's it's the, the God doesn't change. Yes, Christ is there. He is active, and the faith that we find there is the same faith that we find in the New Testament. Um, and so, it, so if Genesis is an is a Christian book. If it's evangelical, if I can use that word um, in the the traditional theological Christian sense, um, then it should one would think issue in in mission that that um, that uh, we evangelicals do evangelism or join God in evangelism. So, how would you? How would you kind of answer the question of, well, Genesis seems to be all about, at least starting in chapter 12, all about just this people, Israel. It seems to be, uh, in a sense, ethnocentric. Is it possible to see something bigger going on there, though? Sure, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's difficult not to see a bigger thing, though I agree with you that we do tend to miss it. Um, and, and it is quite key, isn't it, that, you know, Abraham wasn't a convenient proof text for justification by faith in the mind of Paul and James. He's the father of all Israel. He's one of the central characters. He's, you know, um, what is true with him is not some back corner of one of the judges. Um, But when we look at how God begins with him, so we go back to the promises of Genesis 12, uh, the first couple of verses, and and I've often heard the promise listed as, um, you know, uh, uh, blessing, uh, descendants, uh, and land, Mm -hmm. uh, which is nearly a great summary, but it misses out a really important thing. So verse two, uh, we're in Genesis 12, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. But it doesn't stop there. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And what's more in you, all the families of the earth Mm. shall be blessed. So at the very point where you would expect it to become, I like the way you put it, ethnocentric, Israel centric, it's not. It's it's global telic. <laughs> it's mm. yet it's Israel centric, but it's for the whole world, and that's the promise to Abraham. You know, and uh, as soon as he goes to war, uh, we discover that he had in his household some hundreds of men. You remember when he goes off to rescue Lot, mm-hmm. and we know that he had circumcised every one of them, and he didn't have any children of his own. So the first several hundred people to be joined to the nation of God by the sacrament that includes you Mm. were not physical descendants of Abraham. 
so if this were a genetic thing, it started on completely the wrong foot. Um, you know, it began with the inclusion um, of foreigners. And, and of course, we could go through and pick out examples uh, in the Old Testament uh, of foreigners being included, Rahab and so on. But it's more central than that. Mm. Um, you know, somebody has said that um, systematicians are always giving us great aphorisms, aren't they? And I, I like this one. Uh, it is God's ordinary work to save, but his strange work to condemn. In other words, he's a God for whom it is more normal to save yeah. and more extraordinary to condemn. Yeah. And uh, Ezekiel, uh, which, by the way, um, is an Old Testament book, <laughs> says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And Ezekiel is a book that's full of um, dialogue with the nations. Um, so even the way that Moses records, even the way that God made that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless those, plural, who bless you, and him, singular, who dishonors you, I will curse. It's as if he's expecting there to be way more people who join Abraham in worshiping God, mm. and only a small few who don't, who are against him. And that leads to the logical conclusion, which then God gives us in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm. And that's how the New Testament understands it. So mm. it, it, we're going to look, I'm going to keep quoting Romans 4, I'm afraid, because um, it is our go-to place for justification by faith alone, right? But it keeps quoting Genesis. And this is, this is the thing that blew my mind the first time I actually noticed it. So Romans 4, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of, and I'm expecting to read the land, but that's not what Paul says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Yeah. So justification by faith is the basis on which Abraham was promised not merely Palestine, but the whole world. That is what he has um, inherited. And that is why Paul there goes on to say that, that, that the blessing is not only for the circumcised, but for the uncircumcised. And, and that's how it plays out in Acts. So, um, you know, sure, first to Israel, uh, Acts 3, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Mm -hmm. So here's the apostolic preaching saying, world mission was announced no later than Genesis 12. Mm. This is where they begin mission. And of course, it's first for Israel, but first is not last. Because then Paul again in Galatians 3, and I'm, I'm in verse 8 here, goes on to say, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and again, he quotes, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And then we skip to verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you notice that? We Jews might receive the promised spirit through faith when, when the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles. Yeah. 
So the promise in Genesis 12 that we keep missing seems to be the one the apostles quote the most. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's a good, that Genesis, sorry, Galatians 3, it, it seems like Paul is obviously focusing in on justification, but interacting with both Genesis 12 and that promise in I, I believe going back to 315, um, because he's talking about the seed, but obviously that seed coming through through Abraham, that that, that seed is Christ, and that it is by faith in Christ that Abraham was justified and that now we are justified. And that is the message, that is the blessing that's to come to all the nations of the earth that uh, God would justify the Gentiles by faith. It's a fantastic chapter if our, our listeners wanted to, to dig in and, and kind of see what does it look like for a New Testament author to exegete really Genesis 12 and bring it to bear on, on the life of Christians today and on our mission. It's fantastic. Amen to that. Mm. Well, Stefan, we are going to hit pause on our conversation there. Um, and we're going to pick up in our next episode in Exodus. Uh, but I want to thank you for, for joining us here to talk about justification by faith uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, looking forward to having you back for two more conversations here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Really excited to come back. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union. And so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.